Amen. So y'all, we're studying in uh, in Hebrews, I believe. I see the uh, not not that there's anything. Uh, and it's been wonderful, but I see the light at the end of the tunnel for this book. I think we're going to finish next week. Uh, watch the Lord totally change it, but uh, that's what I have planned for now. But we're going to pick up in chapter 13. And if you'll join with me, we're going to start looking at verse 8 and just jump right in there because it talks about a scripture we all know very well, and I'm very thankful for it, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And that's actually quoted from Psalm uh, from Psalm 10. I'm mean, sorry, 102. Psalm 102. We don't need to turn there. It's a, pretty much a word-for-word quotation. But the Lord says in Malachi, and we don't have to turn there, but He says that, uh, He says, I change not. I'm the Lord and I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. In other words, He's always merciful. His mercy endures forever. And so... Um, there, there are so many scriptures that talk about the Lord being unchanging. And in the midst of everything, we say it all the time, in the midst of everything in life that is changing, uh, it's, it's wonderful to know that we have an anchor for our souls. We have a rock of our salvation that we can fix ourselves upon and, and know that He's never going to change. He's never going to get better. He's never going to get worse because He's already perfect. Amen. He just is. We're, we're being conformed to His image. So we are, praise God, getting better in that sense as the Lord's working in us. He is the same. And I just wanted to read this from Psalm 90. This is one of the few Psalms that Moses wrote. But in Psalm 91 and 2, it says, Lord, Thou hast been our dwelling place in all generations. And we sing that Psalm, Come and make my heart your home. You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, Thou hast formed the earth or the world. Even from everlasting to everlasting, Thou art God. And I just love these big things about God, these big statements and the way that God puts it in His Word for everybody to read just about the goodness of God and the bigness of God, His majesty. And one of the things is that He changes not. Amen? And because He changes not, He's going to be our Savior for all time. He doesn't just come and go. And, and um, there's so much, we could, we could preach a whole sermon on that, but I believe for tonight, you know, we're just going to rest in that and go on to the next verse. And He says in verse 9, this is some more uh, practical admonitions, practical exhortations for believers. Be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. Amen. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have not profited them that have been ex occupied therein. So we, we understand in context, especially in context, with who the audience is uh, of this epistle, that it's the Jewish believers that are being spoken to. Recently coming out of Judaism, so much of their life, or all of their life, being, uh, I guess, characterized by Judaism and, and uh, involved in, in all, the, all the relationships and everything, their heritage, everything had to do, their culture, with their Judaism. And we, we started the book this way and it's going to kind of end this way. But he's basically saying, don't be carried away with, with uh, strange and diverse doctrines. And then he hones in here specifically on, it's a good thing that the heart be established with grace. Amen not with meats which have not profited them that have been occupied thereby. And so 
Uh, he's simply saying that, uh, you know, the eating and the drinking of different things. And I'll just read this from Colossians 2.16. Let, let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbaths. And so in Christ, those things, uh, those things are done away with. Remember this, and we'll talk about it again, and again just in a moment, that all these things are what you would call types, right? Types and shadows. The candlestick, the showbread, we've talked about all that. The temple itself, uh, the, the, the separation, the veil, all these things uh, represented some, something. Certainly the blood sacrifices, it all represented something. The holy days that they had, that they were to observe. The feasts, which we haven't studied really any of that. All of those were foreshadowing Christ. And in Christ, all of them are fulfilled. Okay? All of them are fulfilled. But if somebody doesn't know the Lord and they're still occupied, like it says in verse 9, with meats and they're basically living and dying over every technical thing of the law. You know what I mean? They're living and dying over and they're hung up, you would say. And it's really more to be, uh, to be pitied than to be angry at them. You know, their eyes need to be opened. To see that in all these types and shadows that the fulfillment has come. And remember we talked about it, that the law doesn't serve any more purpose in this day um, than, you know, it's in Christ's day. Let's put it that way. Since Christ has come, then a candle would serve in, in the middle of a bright, sunny noon, noontime day. You know, it just doesn't serve any purpose anymore. It was the light that were, people were hanging on to and types and shadows to bring people to Christ, to foretell of Christ's coming. But now that He's come, it would be ridiculous uh, to hang on and cling to those things. And so we don't ridicule the law. We simply know that Christ fulfilled the law. It's a wonderful thing. It was holy and it fulfilled His purpose. purpose. But He says specifically there, don't be cared about with these different winds of doctrine. Now, Paul says a similar thing in Ephesians 4, right? He says that we're not to be tossed to and fro like children by every wind of doctrine. That has nothing to do with our physical age. It has everything to do with our spiritual maturity. And it really doesn't have to do with how long you've been saved. Somebody can be saved for 30 years and still be very immature in Christ. Somebody could have been saved for six months and be well along in their Christian maturity. That is possible, right? And so the admonition is, don't be a little child in your walk with Christ who's tossed about with every wind of doctrine. And that's what he says here. Be not carried about. That literally means, that carried about literally means to whirl about. Like somebody spinning round and round. They believe this, then they believe that, then they believe that. They're in this church, then they're in that church, then that. They're reading these books, they're into, they're into this preacher right now, into this type of music. Then they find out something, they're totally into this over here. And they're always carried about. Can I tell you all we need is the Lord, Amen. the Holy Spirit, and the Bible. Amen. People are always telling me about books that they've read, and I read books. This is not anti-book, okay? This is simply saying all we need is the Lord, His Holy Spirit, and the Bible. And I can be not only satisfied, but have everything. I can have everything. When somebody tells you that you have to get over to Brownsville 
uh, at the church down in Pensacola, and I was this 20 years ago, you know, so I'm just giving an example, that your Christianity is not fulfilled, complete, your walk with God is not complete until you get there because the revival is happening there. I don't believe it. Because there's people in China that can't get there. There's people in the U.S. that can't get there. God is enough for me in His Word. And so I thank the Lord for godly Christian books and I read them. They're just to me like supplements. They get me thinking maybe about something. They may bring clarity to something from the Word of God. Mostly I read doctrinal books. I don't, I don't read a lot of uh, just, I don't know, just feel good Christian books. Uh, because I feel good about the Lord. I feel good about the doctrine. It encourages me. Even though I knew it, the way this pastor puts it sometimes in a book or this author, it's like, wow, I'm going to remember that. You know, that, that's good. That's a good way to describe humility, a good way to describe some characteristic about God. And so we're not to be whirled about by every wind of doctrine. And I know we talk about it all the time, and we're going to continue to talk about it. Paul says that, uh, know this also, that in the last days perilous times shall come, right? And he talks about, now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter days men shall do what? Depart from the faith. What causes them to depart from the faith? It says giving heed. It means I'm listening to and I'm kind of giving some real credence to it. I'm dialing into it. There's always false doctrines. Just let it blow, blow on by. Okay? But it says in the last days, men are going to depart from the faith. So they were in Christianity. You might debate whether they were really born again or not. But the point is they, were, they would call themselves Christians and clung to the Christian creed and the things of God. But they're going to depart from the faith. How? Giving heed to seducing spirits. That's, that's satanic. Okay? Spirit of deception and so forth. And doctrines of devils. Not doctrine of God. Doctrines of devils. He has his doctrines as well. More than one. <clears throat> and this is how men will depart from the faith. And so uh, we're told... We're going to probably study at some point, you know, and, and Lord willing, we'll go through First and Second Timothy and see how much he, he focuses on and hammers that point in about doctrine, sound doctrine, wholesome doctrine, continuing sound doctrine, continuing the things you've learned from a child, on and on and on. He's talking about it, but we're not to be whirled about by every, uh, every new doctrine that comes along. There'll be a new one tonight. There'll be a new one tomorrow. There'll be a new book, bestseller in the, in the Christian bookstore. I'm not talking about the, the, uh, the cultic religions or the false religions. I'm talking about within the heading of Christianity. There'll be new errors tomorrow. Half truths and half lies. You know, there, there will be. But we don't have to be cared about by all that and world about it. It's a good thing that the heart be established upon grace. Okay? Established with grace. And so, remember, we've talked about grace. That grace, grace doesn't replace doctrine. It's not grace or sound doctrine. Grace is going to teach us how to live according to the Word of God. Grace is going to teach us how to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Grace, grace of God by which we're saved. It's the grace of God by which we continue in this thing day by day. We are recipients of God's grace 24-7 in our entire lives. Even a lost man who might be receiving it in vain because they're persisting in the rebellion of God, they're still a recipient. God's still being gracious to that lost man because they haven't killed him yet. 
He's still going to be saved in the next five minutes. And we as believers, now we understand it more fully. It's not this cover-all thing that just takes care of everything and I can live however I want. It's His grace is, is constructive. His grace is building up. It's doing something uh, godly and Christ-like in the lives of His children. And so the heart needs to be established in grace, not in meats and drinks. For the kingdom of God, the Bible says, is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy. Where? In the Holy Ghost. It's in Jesus. The kingdom of God is within you, the Lord says. It's not coming with observation like we, we see it coming with a, a military walking down the road. In the second coming, we will. Okay? But in this, in this earthly life as Christians, the kingdom of God's within us. Let your heart be established in sound doctrine and in grace. They're not contradictory, uh, contrary to one another. And one doesn't usurp the other necessarily. They go together. Grace is sound doctrine. Amen? Grace is sound doctrine. And so... I thank the Lord for that. But um, let me read one more scripture here. And the Bible speaks of those, those types and shadows in Hebrews 9.10, which stood only in meats and drinks, only in meats and drinks, and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of Reformation. Time of Reformation obviously is talking about the coming of Christ and the fulfillment of all of those things. Then they're put away with. They're done away with because they're completed. They're obsolete now. doesn't mean everything in the Old Testament is obsolete. It means the law and the purpose of the law and the ceremonial things of the law and the sacrificial system and even the legal system of the law. All that's been fulfilled in Christ. Amen? Well, let's keep reading. Uh, let's read a couple of verses together. 10 through 13. Pretty much one thought. Now we have, he's speaking as believers, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat. Who would they be? They would be the, the, the Jews that continue to reject Christ. Okay? We have Abraham as our father and so forth and they, they didn't recognize Christ at His first coming and rejected Him. And so we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat. We only have right because He saved us. Amen. But we do have that right. We study in chapter 4, let us therefore come boldly before His throne of grace, right? We can meet the Lord right there at any time because the blood of Jesus has washed our sins away. They have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. So I think he's contrasting Christians and Jews, obviously, here. For the, bo the bodies of those beasts, now he's contrasting animal sacrifices with Jesus, Bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned without the camp. <coughs> without the camp literally means without the uh, on the outside of the the fence that would have been or whatever barrier fence partition around the outer court, the outermost part of the temple. You know what I mean? It was cleared totally outside of what was fenced in to be the temple that would include the, the, the courtyard, outer court and all that. So those beasts, once, once they were, uh, it says they were burned without the gate. Let us, it says, wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. Now, I just want to read this scripture. It's very clear. When those Old Testament sacrifices, remember, Jesus fulfilled them. 
but they had their purpose, the very real purpose of God. Don't ever forget, Romans 7 says the law was holy and just and spiritual and good. It says all four of those things about the law. So we have no place to say anything other than that uh, about the law. But in Exodus 29, it's when the Lord was given the law, He says, but the flesh of the bullock and his, his skin and his dung shalt thou burn with fire without the camp. It is a sin offering. When they he was specifically given the law for the sin offering, he says, you take the skin and, and the flesh and the dung, everything, you're going to burn it without the camp. Okay? It is a sin offering. Jesus was the final offering for sin. He didn't die in the temple. He didn't die in the courtyard of the temple and so forth. He died on a hill for sinners in the place of sinners outside the camp on a hill called Golgotha, place of a skull where the Romans did their, uh, their crucifixions. And so um, it says that's such a wonderful comparison and contrast there, seeing how Christ fulfilled it. Our altar, when it says we have an altar that they don't have any right to approach, our altar is Jesus. He is that altar, okay? We don't have a physical one that we go to. Our altar is the Lord. And our altar entitles us or includes all the benefits and the blessings of Christ. Everything that Jesus has for us, guess what? He has for us. It's for us. And the Bible says in Romans that if God spared not His only Son, but offered Him up for us all, how shall He not also freely with Him give us all things? Our altar is Christ and all of the blessings in Jesus Christ that He can possibly or desires to impart to man is for us in Jesus. And so I'm glad we're not just caught up in meats and drinks and holy days and things like that because they, they serve their purpose. But even in their purpose, their purpose was to point men to Christ. Mm-hmm. He basically came and went back to heaven and they missed Him. You know, his gospel is still going out and his Holy Spirit is still here trying to reach them for the Lord. But um, so we see this this contrast here. And it's just once again where the author is saying that. uh, Don't go back to that. Don't go back to that. What we have in Christ is so much better. And, And it says that we are to go to him. Jesus died. In verse 12, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. He suffered without the gate. And it says in Romans uh, 3.25, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. And uh, so he fulfilled it. And remember this, and I, I know we've talked about it in, de- in detail in our study in Hebrews. But the blood of those animals that were required and accepted, even God requiring them and people doing them rightly and doing them by faith and God accepting them, still didn't make the conscience of the the one who was bringing the sacrifice clean. God accepted it as a covering, a merciful covering until Christ would come. They were still saved by faith. Justified by faith, Abraham believed God. God counted it for him for righteousness. 
He's what you call an Old Testament saint. He wasn't born again, but he was saved. And we'll see Abraham in heaven and Samuel and you know Noah and, and all these other men of God. Some live before the law, some live during the law, you know, and so forth. But the point is that Christ fulfilled it all. And the blood of those sacrifices could never take away sin, could literally take it away and make our hearts clean and pure as though we never committed a sin. The Lord would use those sacrifices and allow it to be a covering. You know, I went and stole something today. And I know it's sin because the law tells me thou shalt not steal. And I go to the priest and I say, I stole something today. I know it's wrong. I paid him back. But I've done this. And the priest says, here's the sacrifice for the sin. It's offered. And then once a year for the, the sin of atonement for the whole nation and so forth. And God would accept that. The man didn't drop dead right then. You understand what I'm saying? God was merciful. And it would use it. He would start realizing, you know, I keep coming back for these sacrifices all the time. I need, I need something. There's got to be more. And he would turn to the Lord through it. Turn to the Lord who gave the law. Okay? Jesus, the Lord says in Isaiah, a man that lived under the law in a time when the law was still in place. He, the Lord says, look unto me and be saved. Look unto me. Don't look to the law to be saved. Look unto me to be saved. My, that law is teaching you about my holiness. That law is teaching you about your own sinful nature. And I have provided a provision even in that with these animal sacrifices. But look up here. Get your eyes. Look up here and be saved. David knew it, right? Man after God's heart. He's looking up at the stars and playing his harp, watching sheep and writing these psalms. What is man that thou art mindful of him? He knew it. Okay. And he said, sacrifices and burnt offerings thou wouldest not, you know, or else I would give them what you've required is a broken and contrite heart. I get it. I get it because he sought after the Lord and the Lord was found of him. And then the Lord revealed more to him and the Lord, Lord revealed more to him. But guess what? He still loved the law. Because it was such an instructor to him. A teacher to him. It was beautiful. The precepts re reveal the holiness of God in a, in a way that man could live. Uh, in a, a life that was honored to God. In everyday practice. And so, anyway, uh, let's move on. Where it says in verse 13, Let us go therefore unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. I believe this is talking about... Uh, Publicly living a life that honors God. And in the midst, in doing so, there's going to be persecution. There is a reproach. That's what it's called here. Everybody doesn't hug you around the neck and vote you and elect you as mayor when you say, I'm a Christian and I'm going to live for God. And homosexuality is a sin. And I'm abstaining from fornication. And I'm going to preach this gospel. And I'm going to tell the Muslims that that way is not the way to heaven. Everybody's not going to make you their, their best friend. Okay? Because there's a God of this world. And the Bible says the whole world lies in the embrace of the wicked one. So we have to understand the nature. We've talked about it before. The nature of being belonging to God by faith in Jesus. Washed in His blood having His Spirit in us, separated unto God, like we've been talking about in past sermons, that, that He has sealed us by a Spirit, but He's left us here in the midst of an ungodly and a crooked and perverse generation. But He has all, He knows what He's doing. 
This isn't a mistake. It's not just, well, we'll just get by till the next big event happens. There's a purpose in it because we're salt and light. And he has a purpose in us being that. And so he's saying, go on outside the camp. Go to the Lord outside the camp. That's what it says. Let's go to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. We don't go around dragging our heads and saying, oh, I'm just carrying my cross. Nobody likes me because I'm, I'm just carrying my cross. No, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Men ought to look at our lives. I'm not saying about it in five seconds of meeting us, but if we have any kind of interaction with them for some period of time, a relationship, they ought to see Christ in us over time to where they actually are envious. Say, man, I wish I had peace like you do. If that same thing happened to me, I would be a nervous wreck. But you're not a nervous wreck. Why is that? You can't take credit for it, can we? It's the Lord. Everything they say good about us, we would just say, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. You can know Him too. I'm just a human being like you are. But we have to bear that reproach outside the camp. And that's where the Lord wants us to take it. He says, yea, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. He doesn't say maybe. And he doesn't even just say every Christian. He says all that will live godly. That's your choice and my choice. That's the calling of God on our lives. But everybody doesn't necessarily live godly, at least not at all moments of their life. All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12. That's that's to some degree. To some degree. And I'm not asking again for a pity party. But if you suffered in any point in your life any degree of persecution, specifically about your godly because of your godly life in Christ Jesus. I think everybody in here probably has to some extent. A friend that's not their friend anymore. Okay? Uh, whatever it may be, we've all had those. Even if it's just ridicule you know, or mocking, that's a form of persecution. And the Bible says, in a, this is a wonderful scripture, Philippians 1.29, For unto you it is given, okay? Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. That's given to us. We don't hear a lot of sermons on that. You know, that's not going to be the feel-good, uh, seeker-friendly type of message, but that's what the Bible says. Unto you it's given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, but also to suffer for His sake. And Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that, uh, Blessed are ye, ye, right? When men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of... of Evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Great is your reward in heaven. This is just how they did in my prophets. They did the same thing, Jesus said. And so we're to rejoice and be exceeding glad in that. But the Lord wants us to, uh, to carry our Christianity outside of these walls. You know that. We know that. Not only soul winners, but just living for God in the midst of ungodliness. It's not every second that we're witnessing to somebody with with the gospel necessarily, but every second we are living godly in this present world, which is the God, the God of this world. It's Satan, and it's God's plan for us to do that. And there are times to share the gospel with a specific individual or with a group of people. And there's times, all the time, to live it. You shouldn't be any different, nor should I, in church or in the, the, your privacy of your home as far as your morality and your walk with God and so forth than you are when you walk out 
If you are, then then we need you need to get with God. You, you don't necessarily have to tell me about it. You need to get with the Lord and say, Lord, I see this in my life. Thank you for showing me. There's a hypocrisy here. I am a, your child. I am a Christian, but when I get around people, I don't act the same way I do in my house when it comes to my Christianity. And I pray that you would help me to do that. And the Lord, guess what? He'll help us. Every time He'll help us to do that. But there's a real, and before we move on, I just want to say there's a real joy in identifying with the Lord. You know what I mean? It's like you get persecuted and it hurt, but in, on the, in the midst of it and on the backside of it, there's a real peace and a joy that God gives you, then you experience it. And the person that's persecuting you, they don't get it. They don't experience that. And they don't have any idea what you're talking about because they don't know the God you serve and the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and the comfort from His Word and the comfort that he, the Comforter brings into our lives in times like that. And it's almost like you're, you know, the, the, uh, I hadn't planned on it, but it, I think it's in Acts chapter 5, 4 or 5, but, but when Peter and John were uh, persecuted and commanded not by, the, by the council not to preach in Jesus' name anymore, First time they were just threatened and then they went and preached again. And then this time they were beaten and let go. And it says they they left and they departed rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for His name's sake. So they had open wounds on them. They were hurting. And yet they're rejoicing. Wow, we're really, this is how they treated our Lord. They're treating us exactly like they treated Him. And for the same reason, you know, because we're identifying ourselves with Christ. You don't have to go out looking for trouble. I know we've said that before. You don't have to go pick a fight. You don't have to go out and try to be persecuted. Let me stir up a hornet's nest here just to do it. Uh, a bunch of, I'm just totally making something up. A bunch of uh, people drinking and fornicating over there. I'm just going to go up in the midst of it and say, you're all going to hell. You're a bunch of fornicators. Then run, you know. Um, <laughs> That's not what we're called to do. God may lead me to go over there and share the gospel with them. And it may be firm. It may not. You know what I mean? I don't know. But I do know we don't have to go stirred up. We don't have to look to be persecuted. And then when we are, maybe we were just a jerk. You know what I'm saying? Then we say, oh, I'm bearing my cross. Persecuted for righteousness sake. And, and I, was just, I was just a jerk. You know? Um, we don't see Jesus being a jerk to prostitutes or to any type of people, but we do see him calling Pharisees, for example, whitewashed tombs, brood of vipers. So it doesn't mean there's never a time where we speak directly to their sinfulness or their sinful beliefs or traditions. It doesn't mean we never can address those things. You just and I need to know we're being led by the Lord. And we're to speak the truth in love. That would be a guideline. So even if you're rebuking someone, you know that rebuke can still be in love. And you know in your heart if it is. Or if you're just unloading on somebody. You know what I mean? You just want to get it off your chest. I'm a Christian and they're not. I'm sick of their sinful life. And I'm sick of it. And I'm just going to tell them all the scriptures about how bad they are. And yet that's not God maybe leading you to do that at that time. And so you understand that. We don't go looking. We're not picking a fight. 
but we're not shying away from one either. We're being led by the Lord. Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh of all the places in the world. He just wanted God to judge it. And God sent him right into the midst of Nineveh, a three days walk, solid walking through the city. That's how big it was. Crying, repent, for God's about to bring judgment on this place. So somebody could have picked up stones and killed him or stuck a spear in him or something. And so he was directly addressing the sin. There's other times like Jesus with the woman at the well. You know what I mean? And it's more one-on-one and I guess you would call low-key or whatever. But it's always what it should be. Always what it should be. It's not one size fits all. There's not a formula. The closest thing to a formula would be preach the gospel. The closest thing to a formula would be live this life. Don't be a hypocrite. Live it yourself. Another thing would be speaking the truth in love and so forth. We don't have to make up something to say. God's Word is, is the power of God unto salvation. His Gospel. And bring it. Bring it as the Lord leads us to bring it. But anyway, so to, to do that, y'all, we have to bear His reproach outside the camp. There is a reproach for Christ. And the Bible says that uh, even in the Old Testament, there was a reproach for Christ because of speaking of Moses when he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, right? That was a conscious choice he made. He had both worlds lying before him. The riches and treasures of Egypt and all the prestige and luxury and comfort that went with it. All of it. Everybody, the world power and you being that man that everybody bows down to. Or I'm going to suffer with the people of God over here. Slaves. That was the choice before him. But being eternally minded, and by faith it says he made this choice, it says he is esteeming the reproach of Christ. There is a reproach from the world. It's not from the Lord. The Lord pleased with His Son. It's not a reproach at all. But from the world. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. That means he saw the reward eternally. He saw beyond the carnal. You got to kind of peel the veil back a little bit. See beyond the riches of Egypt. And oh, there's, there's the Lord. There's his kingdom. There's his life and eternity that he has for me. There's everything he's got for me. That's better. That's better. Pull the curtain back shut. I'm choosing Christ. You know what I mean? And so... But in that choice, there's a reproach. And it is called the reproach of Christ because we were so identified with Him, right? And Jesus said, if they treat the Master this way, and I'm paraphrasing from Matthew 10, don't be surprised. They're going to treat the servant this way. That's the, you know, the disciple's not above his Master. The servant's not above, above his Master or Lord. And, uh, and so we, can under, we know that we're going to be treated that way. If we're not, if we never suffer any type of ridicule or rebuke or don't ever lose any friends over this thing, then I wonder, I'd have to wonder if we're really living the way the Bible says. And, and I know I've shared my testimony enough times, but I, I, I lived that chameleon, you know, chameleon changes colors. If he's sitting on a brown table, he turns brown. Sitting on a green leaf, he turns green. And I, I lived that way. LSU with the fraternity guys and everybody out there. I'm sitting on a green leaf. I'll turn green. But tomorrow, Sunday morning, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to do the church thing and I'm blending there. And I just did both. Back and forth. Miserable. Okay? Miserable existence. Don't do it. We don't have to do it. There is a joy in taking a stand for the Lord. And then God can say, okay, finally, 
Now let's get on with what I have for you. Let's get moving. I've got a lot of catching up to do. And the Lord can catch us up quickly. Well, let's, let's keep moving a little bit further tonight. And uh, verse 14. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now we've covered that. Uh, here in the natural, the carnal, there's not an eternal city. Where there is one to come. So again, the, the Jews would have been clinging to the temple. We've got this physical temple that's right here. We've got, you know what I mean? Everything literal or physical that was right there. We have the city of Jerusalem, the city of David. It was still standing in this day. You know what I mean? And, and he goes, but the, to the Christian, he's saying, it's not on this earth that we have a continuing city, but we're, we're going to have one, Okay. We seek one to come. But there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem at the end of the trip, at the end of millennium. And those will be eternal. And that is our city. That's a continuing city. And the Bible says the people of faith through all ages, before and after the law, they knew about it, they believed in it, they cling to it, they clung to it. Um, just, just listen to this. Uh, you don't have to turn there. If you want, you can. I'm going to read from Hebrews 12, 22. But ye are come unto Mount Zion. He says, we're not come to that physical mountain where the Jews got received the law and Moses received the law. We talked about that. But you are come to Mount Zion with an S. That's the heavenly. Unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels. Also says in Hebrews 11, all these saints of God that... Uh, lived and died without receiving all the fulfillment of the promises as of then, okay? Some of those promises are still out there. They're, the new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, all those things, the rapture, they're, they're glorified bodies. They're still waiting all, for all that too, even though they're with the Lord in heaven now. Uh, it says, for, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country, now, but now they desire a better country that is a heavenly, a heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. God's prepared a heavenly and eternal home. Mansions, Jesus talks about in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled and so forth. In my father's house, there's a city, there's mansions. I don't understand it all perfectly. I can just look at what the Bible says. It's out there. Old Testament saints were looking for it. This city by faith. And guess what? Their faith is always going to obtain. They'll get it. They're with the Lord in heaven now. Their sufferings are over. They're still waiting. Some things that when they're joined with us, you know what I mean? The church body and we're raptured and then the second coming and the millennial reign where we'll reign and rule with Christ. They're waiting for a lot of these things too. Even though they're not suffering anymore and they're in total uh, peace and joy and contentment with the Lord, there's still things that are future for them as well, as well as us. And they're, they're looking for these things. So, um, so anyway, we, we're seeking that. That's a future home that we have. And the Bible says that in the first, uh, towards the end of 1 Corinthians, it says that, uh, wherefore, wherefore be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, inasmuch as, in as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Well, nobody recognizes me. I'm laboring for God and 
Nobody gave me the key to the city. You know, I didn't get elected city councilman. I'm laboring for God, and I'm not getting elected uh, prom queen or prom king in my school. I'm laboring for God. You know, but the, the point is, just like Moses, we're looking for something beyond. Beyond and way, way better. So much better, okay, that the Lord has for it. It's eternal. So your labor in the Lord is not in vain. God's word tells us that. It's not in vain. Nobody saw that I spent the last six months counseling one-on-one with somebody to try to help bring them out of some, uh, you know, sinful lifestyle and bring them to Christ. So they're new babes and they stumble and fall. Nobody sees that they wake me up in the middle of the night and I'm calling and counseling. You know, but God sees. God sees. Most of what goes on for the Lord, I think, is not seen. I really believe, by far, I would say, most of what the service to God is not seen. Everybody's not a televangelist. It doesn't mean that they're not some good ones. I'm just simply saying that's not the calling for most believers. But we are called to serve God all the time. Sometimes it's noticed by others. And if there's some praise and exhortation that comes from that, then praise God. If, if nobody sees, then praise God. Amen. Because your Father who sees in secret shall reward you openly. That's a promise. That's not a maybe. You labor for God privately, and nobody notices, even church people, even people that should notice, even my closest Christian friends don't notice. But God notices. And He will. He's not unrighteous, the Bible says, to forget your labor of love that you've ministered unto Him. He sees it. And he's going to reward you openly. At some point, it'll be openly manifest and known. And you'll be so glad you didn't go around tooting your own horn, telling everybody how much you did for God. Okay? We'll be glad that it was the way it was and that it ended up the way it ended up. So praise the Lord for that. You know, we're, we're going to uh, be wrapping up here just the next couple of verses. By him, therefore, let us offer... Let us offer... The sacrifice of praise. And think about it for just a minute. We always sing about, I bring a sacrifice of praise and so forth. But praise really is a sacrifice that pleases God. He's not requiring blood of animals and so forth as sacrifices. But he's, he's called us to offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to His name. And we're going to close with this verse. It's just a, a, a good place to close. But, but to bring the praise, it's a sacrifice that God accepts. It's a sacrifice that, that's pleasing to the Lord. And um, he, he desires it. He desires us to open up our mouths, whether it's privately or corporately like we're doing here, to offer back up the praise uh, of thanksgiving to the Lord, the praise to uh, to extol and exalt His name above every name. He knows if it's coming from a right heart and a pure heart. So our, our labor needs to be to make sure our heart's right, constantly being examining it, examining our hearts, even in our worship, how do we how we're worshiping, but that the Lord would be honored and glorified. There are three, at least the I was studying the book today, and at least three sacrifices the believers are to offer. There might be more, but this book mentioned three that a believer 
is to offer to God. Okay, not animals for sin. Jesus did that. But we're to offer ourselves. Doesn't Romans 12 present your body as a living sacrifice? Sacrifice, that's what it says. Couldn't be more clear. I give myself to you fully. I'm yours. Use me up. The good, bad, and ugly. Use me, use me up for your glory. All the length of my days, I'm yours. So we're to present ourselves as a sacrifice. The praise, which we just read, a sacrifice of praise to God. Our lips offering up praise and thanksgiving to God. And the next verse, which we're actually going to probably pick up on next week, is to offer to, it says, but do good and communicate uh, with others. For such sacrifices, God is well pleased. That simply means we're giving of material things. That's pretty much the, the standard definition through the Bible is uh, if a missionary came in here and we are a visiting pastor or an evangelist or something, and we communicated to him, here's a love offering from our hearts to further you on your way to help bless you and meet your needs. As you go, the Lord's called you to this life, and this is how you live from this calling. And we and it says these kind of sacrifices God is well pleased with. It is called a sacrifice. And so I just want to close with uh, a couple of scriptures here from Hosea. This is just an Old Testament scripture, Hosea 14.2. It says, Take with you words and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. So will we render the calves of our lips. And there's some old, and you know, kind of older and kind of archaic words here, but still, turn to the Lord with your mouth. Call upon him. Take away our iniquity, God. We're not turning anybody else but you. Even for believers, take away my iniquity, Lord. David said against thee and thee only have I sinned. Turn to the Lord. And it says, receive us graciously, which he will. He promises that in his word. Okay? And, and we, will, uh, we will offer up the sacrifice of our lips to God. The calves of our lips. We're going we're gonna to make known your mercy, your forgiveness, your restoration, how you can help the sinner, how you helped me. I want people to know how you helped me, God. This is not just a, a, a doctrine in the Bible. You turned me from my sin and iniquity. You forgave me from it. You set me free from it. I want to tell people about that. And I want to praise you and give the, just in my room by myself, lift my hands and thank my God. And so Peter says, you also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Anything we offer to the Lord, anything, a song, a thanksgiving, a tithe, anything has to be offered up through Jesus Christ. That's how it's acceptable to God. That's how he accepts it. I'm going to close with, with this scripture. This is on the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus just said the day before, there's some of you here that are not going to taste the death till you see the Son of God in His glory. Most scholars believe He was talking about well, that next event because certainly they've already died you know, before the rapture or things like that. But the next day it says He took Peter, James, and John up into a mountain apart. And while He spoke to Him, you know, Moses and Elijah appeared. And they're sitting there with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. And Peter, not knowing what to say, said, Lord, it's good that we're here. It's a good thing. 
We're going to build three memorials. One for you, and one for Elijah, and one for Moses. While he was speaking, a big cloud overshadowed them, and a voice spoke from heaven. It says, While he spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Elijah's great. Moses is great. A lot of other people are great. And serve God greatly. But this is my beloved son. And when they, when they looked up, they saw no man but Jesus only. Amen? He's all we need. And if we're going to offer anything back to God, it's going to be through Jesus. Through the blood of Jesus. Even a sacrifice of praise. Even a thanks offering. It's all going to be back through Jesus and because of Jesus. That's how it's going to get to the Father and be acceptable to God by Jesus, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and just praise Him for a few minutes tonight and worship the Lord. You just don't have to wait on anything. Begin to offer up your sacrifice of praise. The Bible says it's a sacrifice, and I believe it's a sacrifice because He accepts it. It's a gift given back to God. Okay? But it also can be a sacrifice because in our flesh and in our humanity, we don't always feel like it. And we're, we have to go on and offer ourselves up to God or that sacrifice of our lips. You might not, it might not be your favorite song the praise team's singing. And yet, you were to offer it up to God and it, let it be pleasing to Him. And so, so it is a sacrifice. We're not governed by our feelings, we're governed by faith. And we're going to offer that up.